Father, I thank you for the presence we have felt today. We know that you are with us. I pray that the lyric of the songs that we have lifted to you would be pleasing to your name. Lord, as we hear from your word now, I pray that you'll help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, we'll be there in just a moment. It was a little over a year ago now, I was driving home from church, going south on Maple Crest, very new to you and new to the community, still had my out-of-state license plates on my truck, glaring that there's a newbie around, and I was, had my family in the truck with me, and we were going home from church south on Maple Crest, and I made the wonderful discovery that one of the lanes ends, and I was not prepared for it. So when in doubt, not knowing what to do, you just speed up and you just find yourself in that left lane again. And so I did so. Some of you who may not know me as well, uh, I have been pulled over a couple of times, but it's always for going too slow. Uh, I am one of those drivers that can test your patience, apparently. If somebody is going 44 and a 45, that would be me. And uh, my wife says, Brady, you drive so slow, it drives me crazy. So when I saw the lane was ending, I sped up and got over in that lane, checked my mirrors, make sure I didn't cut anybody off, and then I resumed my normal driving pace. Slow. We proceeded, and I was talking in the car, which means I drive even slower, and wasn't uh, noticing what was happening, but we got to a stoplight, and I heard a car door slam, and the guy from behind me came out running to my car door window, and he was banging on the window. My family's there, I'm there, and I'm a little bit scared. I'm thinking, I think I'm supposed to be the one to protect everybody, and I just want to run. And he is screaming at the top of his lungs. I can hear him through the window. I left it rolled up. Who do you think you are? At that moment, I had a few thoughts that I wanted to share with him. (laughs) I want to start a series today entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? All of us have been faced with this question at one point or another, and it may be in a situation like I just described, and sometimes you begin to think, well, I just must be a horrible driver. I just must drive so slow that I irritate everybody. I must just be an impediment to the flow of traffic, or I did what was right. I mean, can't you see that I have out-of-state's license plate? I didn't cut you off. I I sped up, and I was going under the speed limit. In fact, who do you think you are, sir? All kinds of things go through our mind, and today I want us to look at this question that is so important for us. So much of our health flows out of a right view of ourself. If we don't see ourselves clearly, if we don't know who we really are, then we're not as healthy as God is intending us to be. I want to ask you this morning, Who do you think you are? Now, I promise I'm not going to run up and bang on your car window. But who is it, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? We get so many ideas about who we are, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But some of you and myself at times, we look in the mirror to see who we are, and, and you see a mirror a little bit like this. And you look and you get a little bit depressed because you're wider than you thought. You're shorter than you thought and your nose is bigger than your chin. And you didn't know that until you looked in a mirror like this. 
There's so many reflections around us in our world telling us who we are and they're skewed. And we look at this reflection of ourself and we think of ourselves less than what we really are. But hang on, because there's other reflections that come at us. And, and sometimes, and I'm with you and many of us in this room, we, we see ourselves and we say, Wow, I, am, I, I think I'm a 32-inch waist. This is amazing. In a size 2 shoe, I think. I, I'm not sure. And, and we begin to love what we hear as a reflection or love what we see. And the fact is, it's just as false. And we need to know who we really are. I want to share with you, if you only catch one thing this morning, this is the key thought up front. So if you're going to go to sleep, don't go to sleep yet. We cannot know who we really are until we understand who God is. If we don't know who God is, we will never, ever understand who we really are. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to come back to that, asking the question, who do we think we are? And we have to understand who God is to get at that. You see, there's this understanding of who we are. It's an anchor for our soul. It's the thing that everything else moves around. It's where it begins. It's where it ends for us. The God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who gave his son for you. If you do not have your identity that is derived from a proper sense of who God is, you will never understand who you really are. You will always think too less of yourself or you'll always think too great of yourself. And even if you could see a clear picture of who you are, you won't understand until you know who God is. Now, I don't want to ask you this morning who other people think you are. I don't want to ask you who you want other people to think that you are. The question is, who do you think that you are? When you peel away the layers of your job and your success, or lack thereof, those two, your pain or your comfort, the abuse or the love that you have received, when you look into the mirror in your soul, what do you see? Who are you really? You see, to answer this question, there's many factors involved. Many people try to tell you who you are. To make matters even more complicated, we begin to try to seek their approval, and we act and we do things and we say things in a way to not really represent ourselves, but to help please the opinion of other people in our life. I'd love to challenge you this morning and, and say that once you reach your 30s, you won't deal with this question anymore. Or once you reach your 40s or your 50s or your 60s or your 70s, this will be a moot point for you. But the rest of our life, all of us will grapple with this question, who do you think that you are? I want you to open your uh, Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you have a teaching outline in your bulletin you want to follow along pull that out with me now as we jump into the book of exodus we're going to see some answers to this question we're going to look at a man named moses who had quite a journey the bible says this about us you are his workmanship created in christ jesus unto good work a good work that he has for you before the foundations of the earth he prepared an assignment for you, an assignment that's most thrilling, that's fulfilling, and that's going to be impactful. 
He made you a specific way to fulfill that purpose, that mission that he created you for. But if you don't know who you are, you can miss it. Moses almost misses it. In your notes, you see number one there, a first thought for us is, how can we come to grips with the real you or the real me? As we read Moses' story, this is a journey. This is not a one-time experience. In no way am I suggesting today that if you pay attention for the next few minutes that this will be a one and done and you will never ever revisit this question of who you are. No, it is a lifelong journey that we need to continue to dialogue with the Lord about who we are. And it starts with understanding who he is. You see, Moses, just like us, had to see that he had a lot of things that made up a part of who he was. Moses' parents, his childhood, his education, his experiences were God's preparation for him to fulfill his divine assignment. Now these things were not definition of who he was, but they no doubt prepared him to fulfill the assignment that God had for them. You see, God used the good, the bad, the average, the exciting, the boring just like he does in our life. Your parents, your background, the DNA of who he has put in you, God's sovereignty uses everything to prepare us. As I said a couple of weeks ago, remember that God does not cause all things to happen. God is not pleased when you and I go through suffering, but he allows things to happen. And for those who trust in him and those who love him, he can work all things together for the good of those who trust him with his with their life. God is telling us today for us to know who we are. We need to understand who he is and even the makeup of our background, our education, the things that are good and bad uh, that we have received in our life. It is preparation for some kind of mission he has for us. Moses would need to know all about Egypt and Pharaoh and their gods and how they thought and how they worked if he was going to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses would need a good education. Moses Moses would need a solid foundation from parents who loved him enough to put him first. All those factors made a big difference in Moses' life. I want to encourage you right now to think about your past and your upbringing and your experiences and begin to see them not as woe is me i'm a victim or i am something to behold i'm just amazing but maybe god has allowed them to prepare you for something because god wants you to know who you are and he wants this to start with understanding that he has been preparing you for something just like moses we have this preparation The second thing, though, I want us to catch is Moses had a warped view of himself. Sometimes it was too high, and it prevented him from fulfilling God's purposes in his life. He would come across mirrors like this that would give reflections of who he was, and he would be pretty excited about what he saw. Super tall, super thin, looking exactly like he had hoped, and it was not always the right reflection. And he began to find himself acting and doing things that he wouldn't normally have done. He was the prince of Egypt. He was a part of the royal family. And he saw this Hebrew being mistreated by this Egyptian, and he was going to step in, and and he was going to do the right thing. and, And who better to do the job than Moses? 
I have a name around here. Who are you, this peon of an Egyptian uh, guard, worker, and he was beating this Hebrew, and, and he dealt with it in his own strength and his own might. He had a warped view of himself. He thought too highly of himself, and he missed what it is that God wanted to do in his life. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2 and look at verse 11. Many years later, in the Bible, sometimes they, they skip a number of years. We get bits and pieces. And so we, we have just heard about Moses and how his mother loved him so much she gave him up almost an adoption to uh, live in the palace so he wouldn't be killed and, and sacrificed her joy of raising him for what was best for Moses. And then it skips another 40 years to where we read this account. Moses had grown up and he went out and visited his people, the Israelites, He saw how they were doing forced labor. During his visit, an Egyptian uh, was beating one of these Hebrew slaves. After looking around to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand the next day. As Moses was out visiting his people again. Now remember, he had this Hebrew blood in him. In his DNA, he had a love and a respect for his Hebrew people. And as he was out visiting them, we began to see that Some Hebrews are arguing. Moses said to one of them, what is wrong? What are you doing? And and, and as he had killed this Egyptian, everybody had saw. And in verse 14 of chapter 2, it's interesting what's said there. The message paraphrases this, and and this man said to him, who do you think that you are? Another translation puts it this way and says, who are you? You, who are you? Who appointed you to be prince or judge? Do you plan to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses was badly frightened because he realized that everyone had saw what he had done. And sure enough, the Pharaoh heard about it and he gave orders to have Moses arrested and killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and escaped to the land of Midian. Moses thought too highly of himself. And here's what's interesting. Sometimes that's true about you and I. We get our assignment right. We begin to see what God has laid out before us, but in our own strength we try to tackle it. In our own power we try to tackle it to do it our way, and we miss what God has had planned for us. Moses thinking, I am pretty capable. I am educated. I am the prince of Egypt. I can call the shots here, and he missed what God wanted to do. His warped view had this power, prestige, He believed in his abilities, and it had this grip on him that affected him for a number of years. He ran, and he hid in the desert for 40 years, and he began to sink into this other view of himself. He began to sit back and think of how he blew it, and and how he missed it, and how he was a failure. And, and, And for 40 years, he sat in the desert and had that thought. You know... I wonder where you're at this morning. Are you thinking too high of yourself or too low of yourself? This letter C, Moses had a warped view, too low of himself. It almost prevented him from continuing in God's purpose in his life. And we won't get to all of it today in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus. We will in the next couple of weeks. We begin to see that Moses makes all kinds of excuses. He begins to say how he can't do the things that God is calling him to do. Sometimes you and I get caught in a poor reflection of who we are. 
that Moses spent 40 years in the desert and he was sulking, now thinking too low of himself. He was thinking about how he killed this Egyptian and how everyone knew about it and they, they all knew this murderous act that he had done. And now, as we read in Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 1, we'll be there in a second. Moses is 80 years old. And this blows me away. He is 80 years old. 80. Everybody who's 80, would you stand? No, I'm not going to have you stand. I mean, Moses, God has been working on him for 80 years to get a picture of who he really is. And he still doesn't have a good grip on it. I want to tell you today, your age will not guarantee that you know who you are. Having lots and lots of people tell you over and over who they think you are will not help you. Having lots of experience of what you can and can't do doesn't necessarily help you. Moses is 80, and he still doesn't quite get it. Look with me at chapter 3 in Exodus, starting at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought to himself, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I want you to catch this. This is an important thing. We have heard this passage over and over and over, but I believe there is fresh new truth for us today in this. Moses cries out to this bush. The very presence of God is speaking to him, and he says, here I am. Moses knew where he was, but he didn't know who he was. A first thought for you in this section here is don't ever substitute your geography for your identity. You may know exactly where you are at physically in life. You may know exactly where you are at emotionally in life. You may know exactly where you are at financially in life. But don't confuse your geography, your position, with your identity of who you are. Well, I live... At, at this such address. I go to this school. I, I work over there. I, I stay at home and I do this. You can know where you are and not know who you are. Do you know who you are this morning? Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now look at verse 7. It's a little bit different from our theme today, but this is for someone here today. This is God's word, and it's powerful for someone here today. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Friend, you're here today and you are suffering. God sees the affliction that you're going through. Some of you have been crying out week after week, month after month. Know that just like the children of Israel, God hears your cry. And when he sees your suffering and he hears your cry, he is concerned about you. 
Don't leave today. You may not have had the answer to prayer. You may not have seen the provision yet. But don't leave today thinking that God is not on it. God is working behind the scenes. God is moving. As we read on and we begin to see that in verse 8 and 10 is some pretty exciting things. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into good and spacious land that is flowing with milk and honey. Then down to verse 9, it says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Out of Egypt. I mean, this is amazing. Moses has been wandering in the desert for 40 years, thinking how fat he was, how short he was, how much he missed it, and he didn't get it right, and he was just thinking that he was in in such misery, and God wasn't seeing him, but God saw, and God heard, and God was concerned, and then God speaks to him. Stand up for me. You're going to be part of the sermon. You didn't know this. You you just be Moses, and I'm going to be God, okay? And, And so Moses is standing right here, and God gets right up in his face. He shows up close. I mean, uncomfortably close. This is kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? It's making me uncomfortable. I'm not getting getting closer. It may make us feel really weird. But God gets really close, and he speaks directly to Moses. He's been wandering and wandering, and God shows up and speaks right to him. And then, what does he say? I want you to go to Pharaoh to set my people free. God has a plan. Thank you. You can have a seat. I mean, this is... Some amazing things. It, it's, wow, it's, that would make your day, your week, your, your decade, your, your, your 40 years of wandering. But Moses doesn't respond that way. I mean, he's here wondering if God sees him, wondering what's going on. God speaks to him, calls him out, tells him he has a plan for him, but he doesn't know who he is. At the age of 80, he still doesn't quite get who he is. He knows where he is, but he doesn't know who he is. Moses needed to know some of these details. He was a greatly loved son. He had a mother and father who who wanted to save his life so bad they put their own life at risk to try to get him to live in the palace so he wouldn't be murdered with all the other little boys. Moses was smart. He had a a great education, and and he had great experiences there in in the palace, and, and he had some great things to put on his resume. A lot of things were lining up for Moses. But isn't that interesting for you and I? There's, there's some of us in this room that there's a lot lining up for you. You have had people who've loved you. You've had some advantages given to you. You've had some education. You've had some things you could put on your resume. But, but just like Moses, you're not quite sure yet of who you really are. You know, we can't ultimately get our own identity from any of these things. And rapid fire, we're going to go through the rest of this. If you're worried about the outline not being proportionate to the time today, rest at ease. We're going to go through these in rapid fire. There's a number of things here that we're going to hit in just a few seconds together that people try to fill their identity with that never work. This one here that is is so often tried to use, we, we can't do it. You can't get your identity through position. Some of us here today have tried to establish who we really are by our occupation. I'm a teacher. I'm a sales director. I'm the boss. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a student. I'm a pastor. I'm you fill in the blank. And you can try to fill your identity with that, but what happens when that is taken away? You build your identity on being a stay-at-home mom, and the empty nest comes, and then who are you? 
You build your identity on being the boss, the employer, and then the economy tanks, and you lose your business or you lose your job, then who are you? We've had some of our very own walk through this. They've given their life and their career to working for a particular company for 10, 12, 15, 20, uh, even 30 years, and they say, thanks, that's all we need from you. I mean, that is hard for anyone. But if your identity is wrapped up in your position, what you do, it devastates you. It crushes you. Not only can you not get your identity through position, you can't get your identity through performance. But I'm doing a really good job. Well, what happens if you fail? Have you ever failed? Don't leave me up here alone. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you've blown it. Now, now don't, like, get too harsh about it. I don't want to have fights break out. But every one of us has failed. The Bible says we all have fallen short. What does that mean? We failed. Well, just a little bit. No, a lot of it. You failed. You failed. You failed. If, If my identity is in my performance, what happens when I fail? And we begin to get so preoccupied with always doing things perfect because it's not about being perfect. It's about being somebody. It's about being something. And we begin to lose who we are. Four, you can't get your identity through popularity. You can't get your identity off of what others think about you. But Brady, that's just who I am. That's just part of my personality. You know, you may have all the cool, you may have all the swagger, you may have all the style, but it only lasts for a little bit. I used to think I had a lot of style and swagger, but something's happening. The clothes at Walmart are either getting cooler or I'm getting older. I really like them. I love that I can get a pair of shoes for $5 at Walmart. It's great. And some of my friends and my family inform me that it's not getting cooler. I just don't have as much style as I once thought. You can have popularity. You can have public opinion on your side, but just hang on. It's not going to be there long. You may be the biggest star, but most likely you're a shooting star. Here today, gone tomorrow. What will you do if your identity is wrapped up in what other people think about you? Now, some of us, it's not in popularity. We try to get our identity through possessions. Check out my new car. Check out my house. Those are kind of obvious things that a lot of adults have learned to code those and not be so brash about it. But we, we, we kind of get excited about who we are. <laughs> Look at my security. I'm not going to actually let you see my bank account, but I'm going to let you hear about how secure I feel that no matter what happens, I am set financially. I am such a good planner. I am such a good uh, worker. I'm such a good investor. I, I Really, who I am is how secure I am. I am so secure, I don't even think anything could take me away. This is a possession. Is your identity in, in, in your possessions? I'm not saying you shouldn't build retirement. I'm not saying you shouldn't save. I'm not saying you shouldn't be responsible. But I'm saying, is that who you are? All you are is a responsible saver? Is that who you are? Well, what about the things that you have possessed and, and you own? Is, is that where you get your identity? You want to know about my house? You want to know about my car? You, you want to know about my watch? Say no, you don't want to know about my watch. No, that's right. Who cares what my watch is? You don't care what my watch is. You know, we don't care what your watch is. Does it tell time? Does it not tell time? You know, put your watch away. I don't want to see your watch. It doesn't matter. It, well, the things that we get identity from. So, oh, I get it, Pastor Brady. You're saying I shouldn't have a nice watch. No. But why are we so concerned that you know I have a white, nice watch? You know what? So many of the things that we own, the other person doesn't even care or recognize that you have it. How many have ever been tempted 
to feel better about yourself because of something that you own or you purchase. You see, this is an identity thing. This isn't just a materialistic thing. This is something that God wants to free us from, and we can't know who we are until we understand who he is. The problem, just like position, you can get fired in performance, you can fail in popularity, it can, it can fall in possessions, they can fade. Your identity has to be in something bigger. Your family heritage will fail you too. No matter how good or how bad it is, your heritage and your family will ultimately fail you at some point. You have to stand on a rock, something solid, something deeper than anything else. And the only thing that never changes is God himself. God wants to change the world through Moses, but first he has to settle who he is for Moses. The deepest question that you can ask is, is who am I? But the greatest discovery that you can make is who God is. I want to know who I am, but I can't even talk about who I am and all the bad reflections. We're going to take some time over the next number of weeks to look at that. But if I don't know who God is, it doesn't matter about any reflection of who or what I think I am. Now, now look at verse 12 as we close. Verse, verse 11, <laughs> rather, Moses responds to this great encounter with God. God says, I'm going to speak to you. I see you. I'm going to call you. I have a plan for your life. And he says, who am I? I can't do it. Who am I? And now look at verse 12. How does God respond to Moses? God doesn't see us struggling with our identity and then pump us up in the flesh. He didn't say, well, Moses, you are educated. Moses, you have great resume. Moses, you're the prince of Egypt. No. He doesn't tell him anything about himself. He says, I will be with you. Who am I, God? I will be with you. That's not what I asked. I will be with you. Until we know who he is, we can never get a clear picture of who we are. Finally, our identity must be God-centered. Our identity can't be found even in the gifts that God gives us. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. It's not in how much ministry you do. It's not in how gifted you are. It's not even in the fruit of the Spirit, as good as that is. Your identity has to be rooted in the one who gives the gifts, who produces the fruit. This is why our world is so confused today. The world is convinced that we get our identity by looking in one of these mirrors and seeing who we are. And so we have people talk to us about how to see ourselves better. But the problem is you will always see yourself better than you really are or worse than you really are until you understand who God really is. As our musicians come and we get ready to wrap up this morning, John Wesley was quoted with his, some of his final words on his deathbed with, with these thoughts. John Wesley is one of our heroes or founders or people who impacted us directly or indirectly, whether we know it or not. He had a lot of great words of wisdom, a lot of teaching on holiness, and, and yet his final words, this was interesting, he said, best of all, I mean, the final words, best of all, God is with me. Uh, There's nothing greater than when we understand that God is with us. We're walking through a world that has an identity crisis. When we understand who he is, we understand that he is with us. 
God's answer about my identity issues. They're not statements about who I am as much as they are proclamations about who he is. As we close this morning, I want you to be able to say, I am known by the Lord. I am loved by the Lord. It's my prayer that you ask God in these next number of moments. I'm going to have our worship team sing this song one time through. Ask God, is there any reflections of skewed mirrors that I'm getting my identity from? And could I possibly take a better look at who I am by seeing who you are? I'm going to close in prayer in a moment, but let's reflect on this word from the Lord as we hear this song.